Hey there, you're with Disembodied Podcast. This is Evie Escher. This week, my guest is Danielle Matthews. Her journey is one of post-traumatic growth. Not stress, but growth. It contains inspiration, hope, and a sort of awakening to the powers we each hold within us to turn pain into power. After overcoming a traumatic brain injury, she started a business eight years ago that has now gone international. She's helped thousands with their health and hundreds to step into entrepreneurship. In addition to post-traumatic growth, Danielle has steeped herself in spirituality, personal development philosophy, cellular health, and entrepreneurship for herself. We're going to talk about the opportunity injuries and illness can give you to take a step in a more positive direction. It's kind of a gift in a way, in Danielle's thinking at least, and I can see her perspective totally. Danielle will talk about redox signaling therapy, which I can see is also a bit of a controversial topic. I'm neutral at this point, having never tried it myself. I'll leave that line of inquiry up to you if you want to research it yourself and give it a try. Irrespective of that mode of therapy, Danielle has a lot of good insight into pulling yourself up after having been knocked down. Sit tight. We're just about to get started. All right, Danielle, welcome to Disembodied Podcast. It's great to have you. Hi, thanks for having me on. Well, we have some things to talk about concerning your past. Uh, you had a, a brain trauma incident that you've gotten over you've recovered from. And can you tell us a little bit about how that happened and how you came out of it? Cause it's a pretty interesting story. It is. It's been an incredible journey. You know, I was in my twenties, I was 23 years old. I got hit by a drunk driver and it was a car accident, a head on collision. And in the accident, you know, I, I left the scene thinking I was okay. I was able to walk, you know, my body looked fine. But in the days and weeks and months that followed, it became very clear that something was really wrong and something was wrong with my brain. Uh, I wasn't able to focus. Like if I tried to focus on something, I could get maybe 10 minutes and then I'd be overwhelmed. I'd want to take a nap. I wasn't able to handle any sort of input. So light, it felt like, like just natural light. It felt like somebody was like shining a flashlight in my eye. I couldn't handle noise. Everything came in at the same level. You know, I couldn't, you know, decipher and say, okay, ignore the AC and pay attention to the person that's talking because it was all at the same level. And the migraines were just terrible. So, you know, initially uh, I finally about after a month got a diagnosis, they called it a a mild traumatic brain injury, which (laughs) is quite an oxymoron if you ask me. But, you know, they said basically I was fortunate that it wasn't more severe. I didn't have a bleed, you know, and they basically said like, this will clear up in time, three to six months, you know, maybe a year at the time. I really just thought, well, I'll push past it. You know, I'll try to work and just work through it. But I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't handle, I was teaching sixth grade math at the time and I couldn't handle a room full of kids. I couldn't remember what I was saying. So I, I ended up losing my job which, you know, the income stopped. And so then I lost my independence. I had to move back in with my parents and we had to just focus fully on trying to get me healthy. And I'm really fortunate, you know, my mom, she owned a yoga studio. And because of that, she knew a lot of practitioners in the area that were not, you know, just Western focused. 
we were able to do things like hyperbaric oxygen treatments and neurobiofeedback. And I was getting, you know, a lot of support uh, with body work. And about a year in, you know, I was feeling, I'd been a 10 out of 10. I was maybe feeling like an eight out of 10. Like I'd had a little bit of improvement, but still not great. And my neurologist said to me, look, Danielle, with your type of injury, you know, the body's done the healing it's going to do. And I'll never forget. He said, you need to just adjust your life to this new normal and, uh, you know, shape your life around it and move on. And wow, that's not very comforting. <laughs> no, I mean, and I was 24 at that time. And I remembered saying to him, like, I said, I have a book in my bag called The Brain That Changes Itself. It was a gift that a friend of mine had given me. And it was by Norman, I think Doidge is his last name. And every chapter was about neuroplasticity and like an incredible recovery of someone with a stroke and stuff far more severe than what I had had. And I remember him saying to me, Danielle, that is a theory. It's not proven. <laughs> and he said, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of hang your hat on that. Like I wouldn't just hope for that. And I thought you're fired. Like there is no way, like you clearly don't understand <laughs> where, where the medical field is going, where research is going. And I thought I'm going to get better. But honestly, Evie, like that conversation kind of gave me a really intense reality check because up to that point, I had been dealing with severe depression, severe anxiety. You know, I was not in a good place. I was feeling like this shouldn't have happened to me. It's not fair. Why did it happen? I didn't deserve it. And it was causing me to just like really want to get back to the life I had had before and the person I thought Danielle was. And I was clawing to get back there. You know, when he said, like, this is permanent, something within me, I believe my, you know, my higher self, something came down and said, no, <laughs> you know, you're going to get better. But I had to like work with this idea of like, okay, well, in the interim, between now and when I heal, like my emotions are a mess. Like, this is not a life I want to live. You know, I was questioning whether I want to stay on this planet or not. And I thought I've got to get this right in order to, you know, be happy. Cause to me, I think in life, if you are happy, <laughs> you've got it, you know, that's really the, the, if you're finding joy, you're on purpose, like that is really where it is. And so I started to really do a lot of inner work and a lot of reflection and a lot of deep thinking to try and really understand, well, well, who am I? If I'm not all these things, if I'm not the teacher, if I'm not the snowboarder, if I'm not, you know, the one that achieves well in school, if I can't be a good friend, if I can't be a good daughter, if I can't be a good girlfriend, like, well, who am I? It was like, I just felt so empty. And, you know, it was through questioning like that, that I was able to kind of wake up to this realization that, wait a second, I was identifying with like all of these contents of my container, you know, these pieces of me, but none of them are actually me. I'm actually the container. Like I'm the vessel that just allows for all these experiences, all of these different things in life to be there. And as I started to really realize this, and I started to implement meditation because meditation really is a tool that is designed to help you rest back in that witness space as the container. And as I did it, yeah, go ahead. I have a quick question though. Meditation doesn't seem like it would be easy if you had trouble focusing. So how did you manage that? Uh, a very specific type of meditation. I'm glad you asked. So yoga, yoga nidra was what I started to do. Uh, yoga nidra is a guided meditation where you have someone basically walking you through different like body techniques to let go of stress in the, in the body, which they're telling you to do something physical, which I could totally do. Uh, and they have you lay down in a dark room 
which was basically what I was doing anyway. <laughs> so I was laying down in a dark room, uh, <laughs> listening to someone kind of prompt me through things. And, you know, it was shifting enough that I could stay with them. Uh, it was, I mean, it was really an incredible thing. The first time I did it was actually just to help me to fall asleep because my brain would not turn off. And my mom suggested the yoga nidra because she said, well, this specific type of meditation literally walks you into the delta wave so that the body goes into the state that's very much like sleep. And she said, maybe we could kind of retrain your brain to remember how to fall asleep. So that's why I was using it. I didn't understand all these other health benefits, you know, that kind of come after that and with that. Um, but, you know, I fell asleep the first night, slept the whole night. And then after that, I just started using it to kind of head off a migraine when I felt a migraine coming on. And then I started to study it more. And I started like, well, what is this doing? Cause I'm a scientist. Like that's what my degree is in biology. And so I'm like, what is this actually doing? <laughs> you know, how am I, how is it cultivating all this beautiful stuff inside of me? Cause I was feeling more peaceful and the anxiety and depression were kind of alleviating. And I was blown away with what, uh, with what I learned about it. Wow. You know, good thing you had your mom, I would say, because, you know, most parents probably would have just been like, we don't know what to do. You know, we don't know what to say, you know, because doctors, you can go to different doctors. I'm not sure that they're, you know, like that one doctor you went to, you must've gone to another one as well, but they're not always very up on the latest ideas, you know, well-versed in those. And they also don't, I think they, they dismiss women a lot of times like, oh, I think you're just exaggerating. You know, isn't that always kind of the, the thing that happens even to this day? Well, it's interesting. I actually, because when I started to get better and we can get into how and all that, but I actually went because I started to shadow people because I thought I want to work with other people that have had brain injury. And I went and I watched an occupational therapist for a day and a speech language pathologist for a day. And no kidding, the speech language pathologist said to me, yeah, these people with concussion, they just exaggerate their symptoms. Like they're totally lying. They act like they can't process the information. And I looked at her and I said, do you understand that? Like I was the person that used to be sitting across from you. And I said, no, it's very real. (laughs) I used to be that person. Like I couldn't get the word out. I looked fine. And that's the wild thing with brain injury is I looked like this. I looked absolutely normal. If you like my parents and close friends, if they looked in my eyes, they could see that something was off or I was having a bad day because they could like see a cloudiness. But that was the only indicator to the average person. You know, I looked absolutely fine. Yeah, it's it's wild. I think, you know, on the whole with what you said, uh, you know, my grandfather was a doctor and he was the first to say, Danielle, they trained me how to cut. They trained me how to prescribe. And he said, they did not train me on nutrition. They did not train me on how the lungs impact the anything else. He was a lung doctor. And he says, I'm very good at lungs. And I'm very good if you need me to do surgery on your lungs, but ask me anything else. I don't, it's not my specialty. Yeah. It's sad in a way. I mean, the thing is, is you only have so much time in med school to really cover these things. They can't just have med school go for 20 years. Forever. <laughs> That's another problem, right? Because it's already yeah. a long process. So I think they have to get people well-versed in doing the things that are most needed maybe, but this is why we have so many specialists. And I think the specialists don't really, I think they often discount other specialists and it's kind of a, I don't know, the medical community is a strange space. You know, I remember going to doctors that would, you know, act like, is it like an osteopath or 
They discount regular doctors, MDs, and there's like so much kind of backbiting and you don't know who to believe. You have to do a lot of reading. And even that is going to lead you maybe down paths that are not going to help you. So I know, well, you have to learn to be your own advocate. That is 100% what I came to is realizing like, look, nobody has the silver bullet. Nobody's out there. That's going to really worry about me as much as I'm going to worry about me. And thank goodness I had family, right? My mom and my dad were also incredible advocates for me. Um, but I had to make this mental choice of like, well, I'm not going to take what they're saying as gospel truth because they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> and who's to say, you know, that like, I, I believe the body is meant to be in full health. And the more that I've learned over the last decade with the connection we have to the divine and the, the spiritual connection we have and the ability to tap into that to also help our body to heal. I truly believe anyone can get through anything. And I also think that the health issues that are coming, mine came in the form of an accident Others, you know, people just end up with an issue. They didn't have a trauma that caused it. I now believe that they're actually gifts. You know, they are gifts given to us to, (laughs) in a weird package, but to understand like, look, there is something in life for me was I needed to move in a different direction. It was life coming to a halt saying, you're not going down that road. You're actually supposed to be over here. And something huge had to happen to pull me out of where I was Uh, a total shift. Then to to look at disease the way that I do now and the connection between the mind and the body, it is phenomenal to realize, and there's people that have studied this in depth that say, look, it's it's clear, people that have grief, that they're not getting through grief, it manifests oftentimes in the lungs, you know, and you there are so many different connections that you can see. Like you can do a body scan of someone and literally a well-trained eye that understands the mind-body connection will be able to tell you the most deepest, darkest secrets that are within your soul that are manifesting in this way because the body maps it out. And you think about it intuitively. I think we all know this. Like when you see somebody that's depressed and sad and, you know, they're like this or somebody that has anxiety, they're kind of like protecting their heart over time. That will stay if that is like a, you know, a thought pattern that continues. So I believe when, when an illness comes into your life, ask, look at it as a gift from the divine and ask, what am I supposed to be learning? Maybe it's like, for me, it was a direction I wasn't supposed to be going. Maybe for you, it's a something you haven't released a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, uh, some trauma, you know, from childhood, from something that just at the time you couldn't deal with it. And so you kind of stuffed it aside and you put it in the closet, but you know, that closet's your body (laughs) and the body (laughs) screaming at you saying, you got to deal with me. (laughs) And if you don't, it will get to the point where, you know, it will manifest with a specific diagnosis. So how did you pull yourself out of this slowly? Because it really does sound like it was a long-term effort. Oh, it was, I I wish I could say like, and and people on a healing journey, I'm like, it's not snap of the finger um, because there's a lot of layers you have to move through. And I think the number one thing is deciding that you're going to want to. So it's when you make a decision (laughs) decide is like suicide, homicide, you know, you were deciding to kill something. Like you were making a decision to kill off the choice of not getting better and to go towards the one of I'm going to get better. So I had to decide. And once I did that, it was then reflecting on my thoughts, the thought patterns that were not helpful, the thought patterns that were causing me more trouble. And I started to say, okay, I am no longer allowing myself to think about the past. 
who I used to be, how life used to happen, what I used to be able to do. And I said, I'm no longer thinking about the future, where I'm going, what's going to unfold, how I'm going to get better. None of it. I won't let myself because the depression, anxiety, right? <laughs> that future. I just said, I'm going to be present. And it's so interesting because how many spiritual teachings tell you, you need to be present, come to the present moment. Well, out of just pure necessity, because I couldn't handle my thoughts on either end of the present moment, I forced myself into the present. And when you're in the present moment, you see things so much, like it's so clear because you're not allowing yourself to live in any other space. You're in the present moment, watching the present moment. And I started to witness other people having, it's like, I could see the argument before it was going to happen, you know? And I started to have these observations and I realized like, man, people have got like sunglasses on is how I term it, the term I use. Like, it's like, they're wearing these sunglasses and they're looking at the present moment through some lens of like some habitual feeling where, you know, my voice is never heard or I'm not good enough or whatever it might be. I then realized, oh gosh, Danielle, like you're not immune to this. <laughs> you're wearing these same sunglasses. And so then I just went, you know what? I'm just going to reflect inwardly. And so I would start to see when I would get triggered. And this EV was one of the, the biggest lessons of, I think I was supposed to learn on this, this journey was realizing my triggers are my teachers and the things happening externally that are causing me internally to get upset, to feel angry, whatever it is, are actually a gift because that trigger was inside of me. The person meant nothing by it. The event just occurred. I had this uncomfortable feeling manifest within me and we so easily blame the external world. Well, you pushed the button. Like you should not do that. Don't do that around me. And we try to manage and control the external world so that it's like perfect and we're happy. It's just, it's a losing battle. <laughs> okay. Life is always gonna just like bing, knock down the wall. So you have to realize that, no, 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 this is actually a reaction I had internal. Why am I reacting that way? And you just start to reflect on it without judgment. You have to just say, okay, well, this is curious. This is interesting, you know, and be fascinated with yourself, not frustrated with yourself and try to figure out what's the root of this. For me, it was a self-worth issue. I just didn't feel worthy. And it was amazing in the number of ways that this kept coming up relationships, work dynamics. Like when I looked at my past and it was like, holy cow, Danielle, (laughs) you really need to address this. You know, it's in doing that, it's allowed me to have such compassion for other people because we're all on this human journey together. And so many of us don't realize, you know, that we've got these sunglasses on. We don't realize that there's something blocking us, you know, some past thing that's preventing us from being fully present in the moment. And you know, my my healing journey, it was like, I had to learn these lessons. And once I did, it was like, I was set free where all of a sudden I realized, holy cow, I have the choice to be happy in this moment. I have the choice to interact and react in whatever way I want. And I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to stop having reference to how life is showing up. I'm going to go, okay, this is what's here. I need to just, you know, how can I find happiness within this? What can I do? Let's not focus on what I can't do. And in doing that, I literally shifted the vibrational state that I was holding. I attracted in the answer to my physical symptoms, which was a technology called redox signaling. And it came through a phone call from, you know, one of my mom's prior students at her yoga studio. And it's just, it's amazing to watch, you know, people talk about the law of attraction all the time, but 
really it's the law of vibration. Like that's the primary law of attraction is secondary, but the vibration you hold is what you attract in from. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was unconsciously doing it, but I had out of necessity shifted my vibration out of fear and resentment and anger and really more into a state of joy and happiness and gratitude. And because I was holding a higher vibration, it's my belief that I attracted in the answer to my physical symptoms. It was like, you learn the lesson, right? You pass the test. <laughs> so here's what you need, you know, to now come out of it. Yeah, that's amazing. I think um, it's pretty hard to feel hopeful probably as time goes on with a condition that persists. So, you know, it's good that you were hopeful and you were willing to try different things. That alone is such a, a helpful aspect to, to all this, I think, is that you didn't just give up and go, well, I am stuck with it. The doctor was right. <laughs> Evie, I'm actually really happy you said that because there's something in our brains called the reticular activator system. A lot of people probably like the most common way people understand this is when you go to purchase a car and you're like researching the car for me as a Jeep, I just got a Jeep. I started seeing Jeeps everywhere, you know, and it's because in my brain, we take in so much information. The brain will take some stuff and put it to the conscious mind and it takes other stuff and it stores it elsewhere or it says it's not relevant. It kind of pushes it aside. When you research the car you want, all of a sudden you're telling the brain like, this is important. And so now you start seeing the Jeeps everywhere, you know, with your health, if you say this is chronic, this is just how it is. There's no solution. The doctors are right. You're telling the reticular activator system, don't look for solutions. I told mine the opposite. I said, I'm going to get healthy. You know, we got to look for options. And so it was constantly like, is this the thing? Is this the thing? Is this the thing? And answers are always there. They're out there. It's just, they're like waiting for us to pay attention. And the answers come, you know, the universe, the divine speaks to us, whatever your beliefs are, God will put things in your path, but they come in a way that is a package you don't expect. And so, so often people miss it. It could be this listening right now. You're not listening to this by accident. Perhaps you or someone you love, maybe you need the same technology I needed, this redox. I don't know, but the answers come in such like ways that we in our minds could never have conceived. You hear the right commercial. You're sitting to the next to the right person at the restaurant that is talking about the same thing that you're actually needing. And it's just like, you have to be open to these things and the reticular activator has to let it in. So you have to have the fundamental intention that your outcome is going to be positive and that you're going to find a solution. Yeah. And that's how depression tends to close things down. I think depression is you know, if you can somehow bring it up to a different level of feeling other than depression, you won't be so locked out of solutions. And, you know, at times in the past, I would say that if I've been depressed, I've tried to bring it up to a level of anger. <laughs> um, I'm not suggesting that everybody do this. Okay. I'm just saying I changed the depressive kind of wave that I was on, brought it up to anger, and that gets me to act on things. And, you know, so, you know, I'm not saying, you know, you need to take out everything on everybody else that that's not the suggestion here. It's just that sometimes you to get out of that depressive state, you have to change that, I guess, the emotional hold of the depression where there's no solution. And you can change it to a different emotion, maybe. And it's hard to just laugh, right? <laughs> it's hard to go from like depression to laughter. So you got to take it maybe up to anger and then go, okay, wait, and do I need to be angry at myself or someone else or, you know, and then maybe you can move beyond it. 
So, you know, I think that you being in, involved in science and scientific thinking is good. I think it's good to know that the brain has a certain capacity and this doesn't have anything to do with the belief in God or spirits or anything. Um, the brain has certain capacities that can be nurtured or, you know, maybe hindered. And, you know, you've learned, I think both sides here that there's maybe a spirit world helping you. And there's also stuff you can do just, you know, from a purely like physical standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what you were saying about moving from depression to anger, like there's a, a scale of emotions and they all hold a vibration. And so it's really interesting to say, okay, well, where's the emotion I'm having? What's the next up on the scale? <laughs> you know, And how can I kind of keep climbing my way out? And it's, it's an internal thing that you have to do. But one of the things I used to do to, again, try and like hack my mind because I was severely depressed, I would force myself to watch like funny cat videos, funny dog videos, like funny videos online, like, you know, these clips. And I would make myself watch it for like an hour so that I would just get myself to the point where something would make me laugh. Inevitably, like there's something on there that's going to make you laugh. <laughs> so, uh, that's what I used to do. It was so helpful to go, oh, that's what it feels like, you know, and you just have to start to retrain yourself of like, oh, yeah, I can be in that space. I can be in that energy space again. And it's, it's an all out effort though. But once you make that decision, I'm telling you, you cut off all of the other possibilities of falling back, you know, and you just, you seek out well, what's going to bring me joy and what can I do? And, you know, nature was another thing that really was key for me. I, um, I would go on walks often I'd get out in nature as much as I could and powerfully healing, you know, the, I, now I understand better too, just the energy of nature, the frequency that's held out there helps shift the frequency within you. And it helps suggest with trauma, like the yogis talk about something called your chitta, which is in like your bliss body. And when there's trauma, it disturbs, it disturbs the chitta, which is like the vibration that you're holding. Okay. That your essence. And when that gets disturbed and in the West, we call it like your inner child, right. Gets upset. They say the yogis say like nature is one of the things that helps reset it. It helps just calm the chitta. It helps the inner child, right? It just helps calm everything down so you get into a more balanced state. So there are things that, you know, you intuitively know what to do. And each person is going to be a little different, what you need and what your journey looks like. You know, I can just share the things that, that help me on my path. Well, how do you harmonize being a person of science and believing in a spirit world? How are you harmonizing that? I believe that it points to it. So uh, I study work like Bruce Lipton, biology of belief. You know, I'm a biologist. Bruce was a biologist. That book <laughs> and the way that sort of I kind of came through my injury and realizing like, hang on, our thoughts, our external world impacts, you know, how we feel internally. It impacts the stress in our body, impacts what gets turned on and turned off. And it was like, holy cow, we've been looking at it inside out. And so I really believe that you know, science is always evolving and that's, what's beautiful. I think some people get stuck in thinking, you know, this is the way it has to be. And it's like, no, sometimes in science we're wrong more often than not, we are. And that's why we keep studying. We keep analyzing. And I believe that, you know, Bruce's work, he's been studying this since the eighties, like as long as I've been alive and still <laughs> there's so many people in the scientific community that don't understand what he's saying and don't understand the power of like the environment impacts the cell. You know, it's not just the DNA. Your DNA is not your destiny. There are different things you can do. Um, Joe Dispenza's work, you know, I like that he's like this merger of 
of he's got, you know, research showing what meditation is doing to the brain. Something that the yogis have been saying for thousands of years. Now it's like, we have the equipment to show what's actually happening. (laughs) I just think, you know, I have, I run everything through my internal truth center and I just have gotten stronger and stronger and stronger in that. I think we have intellect and I have a lot, you know, I've trained at the university of Virginia. It's one of the top public institutions we have. And so I have a lot of knowledge, but I also have been really opening my intuition and saying, hang on, like there is a field, there is a universal force. There is something else out there. I've watched it enough to know that it exists. I've seen it enough in my own life. How can I cultivate my connection with that more and more and more? And that's intuition. That's getting rid of, you know, the mind chatter. It's so that, you know, I can see through and I can connect in when my mind's going, I can't. So I think the intellect has a space. I think science has a space uh, to understand this physical world. Uh, And I think more and more it's pointing to the fact that there is a field. (laughs) I think, you know, quantum physics like is showing you the field. And I think people are more understanding it more. So to me, it's like, it's a no brainer. It's like, you know, when you look at science and you look at spirituality, it's just the marriage between the two becomes so clear. And um, I just went to a really fun conference with Bruce Lipton. And, you know, he's been doing some really interesting ones recently. And this is the topic. He talks science and then, you know, he gets on, he has somebody else talk the spiritual aspect. And then they kind of come together and say, do you see how both are pointing at the same central truth? So it's pretty fascinating. I want to say that I've watched one of his videos on YouTube, but it may have been a while ago. I'll have to check him out again because his name is very familiar to me. So I'm pretty sure I watched something on YouTube with him. Yeah, I think he's been doing more too on Gaia TV. His book's been out for forever, Biology of Belief, and he's just written another one. But him, Greg Braden is another name that, you know, he studies a lot. He's kind of has a different lens on things, but again, is merging these two worlds and it's fascinating. Yeah, and I think, you know, in all intelligent societies, evolved societies in the past, even there was always a harmony between the spirit side, the intellect, you know, all of these different facets of human understanding. When I see people being really dogmatic about rejecting any type of spirit world, I just think, well, come on, you know, you're really acting like humans are the be all end all. And that just can't be true. I'm telling you that cannot be true. (laughs) From what I know of humans, no way. I know. We cannot be the be all end all. There's got to be higher intelligences that are out there helping us. Energies, whatever you want to call them. I know that it gets very out there when you call them gods, but definitely there's something more well attuned to even what we need for ourselves that probably tries to assist. So who do you think is out there supporting you? You know, I don't know that I've ever thought of it as a specific person. You know, I do believe when our spirit leaves this world, like I've had my grandparents transition and all of that, I do believe they're around, their energy is around. But I think it's just like, to me, it's, I see it as a field <laughs> like, and, and it's around me and in me. It, it is who I am. It's what animates me. I look at it as like the best analogy I could give is an ocean and a wave. You know, I am in this expression as a wave here in form with a body looking like Danielle. Um, But the reality is my essence is the ocean. You know, that's what it's allowed me to, you know, be in creation. And so I have that divinity within me to me, God's not external, it's internal. Uh, And I felt that way since I was a little kid, you know, I always would look in people's eyes and I felt like I was looking at God. 
I went to church. I was confirmed. I was a Methodist, you know, growing up and my parents wanted me to go through that process. And after it, I said to them, you know, if I had been born in another country, we would believe a different religion. So what makes this one right? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they said, good question, Danielle. And um, they said, we don't have an answer. And I said, okay, I don't want to go to church anymore because it wasn't giving me the answer of like what I felt was such a truth, which was like, no, I'm looking at you and I see God, like I see divinity. And so uh, it wasn't until actually yogic philosophy nailed it. And Hinduism sort of took some of yogic philosophy and made it into a religion, but yogic philosophy at its core to me is science. You know, I think Patanjali was an incredible scientist that was looking and analyzing these different religions and saying, well, what are these threads and truths and all of them, you know, they, they kind of manifest differently, but what is the, the truth underneath it all? And he got to some really, you know, common essences that that's yogic philosophy. And they say, this exact thing that each of us are an expression of the divine. <laughs> and the only way for the divine to experience itself is to come into form. So it's, I mean, I could go deep onto that, but it's to me, that's what it is. It's just knowing like, well, who is it is actually within me, you know, and I can access it all the time. And to me, it's, it's more of like a force. Like it's like the ocean. It's just this thing that's everywhere. So the concept of higher self is something you identify with where mm-hmm. some higher more developed form of you is communicating with the lower version of you. For sure. It's like that divine aspect of me that has the whole perspective. (laughs) And then there's Danielle that, you know, has her mind and the ego and gets really confused by by this world and her thoughts and all of that. And, you know, but this, the higher self to me is that, that intuitive side, that piece that's like, hang on, (laughs) actually, like there's more, tell the mind to be quiet, but that's the human journey. You know, that's, what the yogis say is that that's why we're here. It's to remember who we are. It's to remember our divinity. It's to remember how to reconnect and then to realize that you can live from that space. And you have these incredible saints. You have people like Buddha and you have people like Jesus that came with the knowing of who they were and the knowing of the divinity, right? Jesus says, my father and I are one. It's the same with you. You know, that's to me, this is my truth, but that's what I've come to, you know, after questioning for a lifetime so far of like, what is the meaning of all of this and who am I and what let's make sense of it all. This makes the most sense to me. Yeah. You know, I try to really see from a global perspective, how people function. And I think religions are just expressions of people trying to kind of control that higher self side. They're trying to build out a lot of rules and regulations around it and to exclude and penalize people. And, you know, there is a sense of justice in the world anyway, without religion, we have a legal system, right? But I mean, people get used to building out all these rules and regulations. And I think that's why religions get weirder and weirder and more controlling and more controlling because they want to sequester women and they want to, you know, have one person in charge of everything. And, Oftentimes it leads to abuse, you know, because people don't always handle power very well. And if you think as a man in charge of a congregation that you're closer to God and you start exerting a force on that group, you know, that's where things get very messy. And this is why I feel like religion is something that probably needs to be, you know, not done away with, but just kind of reframed, (laughs) reframed. Okay. And maybe get out of all these um, strict 
uh, ways of thinking, seeing gender and all the stuff that people get hung up on. And just remember that, like you said, you can see God in other people, but you have to allow, you have to be willing. You, you can't just have hatred towards everybody who wasn't raised like you with the, you know, specific religious text that you were raised. That's where, this is where humans, I think, kind of run amok with all the spirituality. Yeah, we get lost and, and to be expected, right? Because we don't come in with a playbook, like we forget who we are, because that's part of, in the way that I look at it, it's part of the journey is to, is to re-remember. And I think different religions, right, they're tugging on these truths. And when you look at the core of it, it's good. But then you have these people that, you know, want to exert power over and they they kind of take advantage. And so it gets messy, just like in politics, Right. We need, you know, we need some form of government and some sort of body to help, you know, figure out so it's not a lawless land, but you get too much of it and it's too much power. I think power amplifies who you are. So there are just, there are definitely good people that get into power and can make things incredible. And then there's others that get into power and they turn it the other direction because it's just amplifying their humanness. (laughs) You know, people can only meet a situation to the depths that they've met themselves and not everybody has had the fortune of what I've had, which is the time in life to pause and contemplate and to ask. And I think that's why I said, if you've got a health issue that's come up, or maybe you've had a death in the family, or you've lost a job, or like there's some traumatic event that has occurred. I believe this is your moment where you're actually being given a gift so that you have the time to question, to reflect, to look at things and realize that there is more. And if you talk to people that have been through trauma, come out on the other side, there's a concept called post-traumatic growth, which it's basically saying, look, because of what I went through, it caused me to be able to look at life in a different way, to find a greater purpose, to understand myself on a deeper level, that I've been able to grow in massive ways that I have nothing but gratitude for the trauma that took me in this direction. I believe that everybody should look at their difficult situations with this lens of like, wow, like here's your moment. (laughs) You know, this is the moment. Like people call it the dark night of the soul. I didn't know that phrase when I was going through it, but I heard it after and I went, yes, that was definitely my dark night where, you know, you're having to kind of wander aimlessly and you feel like nothing makes sense and it's so confusing and everything's breaking down. But it's in those dark moments that you go inward and you can, you form roots and you really get to know yourself and you get connected and more grounded. And then, you know, like anything in life, it's always darkest before the dawn, right? The sun is going to come up. And so these, these, these good times, you know, come and you flourish because of what you've been through in the dark times, because you've put in the inner work, you can express in such a different way, you know, when you come out on the other side. So what do you do nowadays from day to day to make yourself feel good and feel balanced spiritually? Meditation is definitely still a huge part of my life. Um, I still do yoga nidra. It's my favorite. I just, I, it's really hard for me to just sit and be quiet. I don't like that kind of meditation. <laughs> I still like the guided meditation because it like drops you in very quickly. So I do that and I facilitate that because guiding someone, I have to go there myself. Um, so I really enjoy that. And then I do a technique called yoga therapy, which so profound. It's, it's like simple stretching, but it's like I talked about at the beginning, you know, the body is speaking to us and it's even speaking to us through little things like pain or tension. And so I use yoga therapy. I do it either in the morning or at night. And I just give my body a chance to talk to me to figure out like, where is their tension? What am I holding on to? What is that in reference to? What can I release? 
And doing that, it just brings me back to center, you know, each and every day. I use my life, you know, one of my teachers calls it meditation in motion. (laughs) I use my life, I use my work to practice being present, to practice setting my ego mind aside to, to receiving who's in front of me, just how they are not having preference to how they show up or what their thoughts are, or what religion they have or whatever. I don't care. I just receive them for who they are. And it's really made all the difference. You know, I have a lot of people say that their ability to connect with me, they really enjoy. And I think it's because I don't come in with all my own stuff. You know, I try to come in as kind of a clean slate where I can receive them. And I think so many people are not seen fully for who they are, that it's very refreshing when someone can give that to them. So been like a secret, I call it a, one of the, the spiritual laws of success in my business. So you're helping people, you know, overcome trauma nowadays, right? Instead of you haven't gone back to teaching math, right? No. Interestingly, you know, for the last gosh, eight years, predominantly, I've been sharing the technology that helped me to get my health back, which is the redox signaling technology. And I've helped thousands of people around the globe. I don't say that number lightly, like I've, I've helped that many people. And it has been humbling to know that, you know, because I opened my mouth, because of what I went through, and then chose to open my mouth about my own journey, and share my truths and what I came across and what helped me, I've been able to touch a lot of lives. I now coach and train a team of people that do the same thing. And and it's amazing because people's minds are what get in their way, you know, and they try and talk them out of having success in a business. And so a lot of my time I spend doing coaching on mindset, helping people overcome the things that they're going through. And then, yes, I do, I do private yoga therapy sessions. I do private yoga nidra sessions. I used to teach group classes, but I've now moved and I'm kind of in more of a remote area, so I can't, <laughs> can't do the group things that I used to do. Thanks so much for sharing all of this, because I feel like it can help people. And I didn't know anything about redox signaling. Um, so um, I'm now I'm going to look it up and watch a video on it because it's new to me. So, um, you know, thanks for putting it out there. I'm sure it'll help somebody who listens to this. And just your story in general is going to help people have a little more strength to go through whatever they're going through, whether it involves the brain or not. (laughs) Yeah, I I hope so. That's my intent. You know, that's what I always like to put out there. If I can help somebody meet them where they are and take one step forward. Fantastic. Because I wish I had had some more guidance. I felt like I was a little kid, like lost in the woods without any guidance. And now I want to help guide people. If people are interested in the redox in yoga nidra, I've got free ones out there. I've got so much information. Probably the best way is come to my Instagram. I've got links in my bio to all these things and you can learn more and ask me whatever, just send me a direct message. It's me on there. So you'll get it. Yeah. And the show notes for this episode will definitely include a link to your website and, you know, so people can catch up with you and contact you if they need to. So again, I thank you so much, Danielle. And I'm happy to hear a story like this where people have something that's so vexing, like a brain injury, and they can just overcome it and stay positive and help other people. It's inspiring. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks for for having me on and, you know, giving me a chance to, to share my story. No problem. Blessed listener, please leave your questions or comments for this episode or any other episode at disembodiedpodcast.com. Cheers. Mm-hmm.